Ted DiBiase, you've taken all your assets, all your financial wealth, and put it right on Andre the Giant's back. That could be your first and last mistake. As far as the holster goes, brother, I take all my assets, everything I've got going for me, spread it all around the world, all on all my little teeny holsters, and I'm not the king of my own empire. I answer to that big bank teller up in the sky for long-range investment. And for that one reason, if it's the only one I have, the bottom just might fall out for you, Ted DiBiase, and Andre the Giant. Welcome to the Bullpark Podcast. This is Josh Heiser here with that dirty, nasty, rotten, stinking James Prophet. And I, I know you all might be surprised to hear this, but we're talking about wrestling today. <laughs> it's been a while, but yeah, we uh, we wanted to come back and wrap the greatest, one of the greatest views of all time. Maybe you think this is the most famous. Um, either that or like maybe Rock and Stone Cold, maybe. Okay. What about like Austin McMahon? Yeah, I guess that too. Okay. I always have trouble throwing that one in there just because, you know, Vince McMahon's not a wrestler, but <laughs> right, <laughs> it was pretty big. So you're right. And so, yeah, we are uh, wrapping up Rock and Robin versus Sensational Sherry. Oh, what a feud it was. Remember when uh, Robin beat her for the title out of nowhere? And then remember when Sherry was the number one contender because there weren't the only other female wrestler was Velvet McIntyre? I mean, I'd give it seven stars, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the feud. The match is at least eight. Yeah. No, we are talking about Hogan Andre part three. So, James, we left off. Uh, the Mega Powers had just collided. Yep. Uh, we are in November 1987. Take us back, James. <laughs> right. So, part three. This is also kind of part five. I did notice this is our fifth hour talking about this feud now. So, wow. we've, yeah, we've just been pretty excited that we've uh, gone two hours every time we've gone about it. So, if you're saying, how could you only do three episodes on this? It's it's like four or five episodes. It's just that we went really long. We were enjoying it so much. Yeah, and we were, we were having a hard time finding the right places to start and stop because it really didn't have much um, lulls in it as some, some feuds. You know, like the Sean Taker one would have years in between. Some right. of it, so, um, this one had a few months where Andre had back surgery. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of kept in the background. That's kind of it. It's not like Rock and Robin and Sensational Sherry, where it starts with Robin winning the title and it stops with Rock and Robin singing singing the national anthem at WrestleMania Five. Oh. And that's where we're headed. <laughs> so we're gonna start with uh, we got a lot of primetime wrestling and Saturday night main events stuff yep. like that. 
um, the Rawls and the Smackdowns of the day. <laughs> but so, we are starting on the YouTube playlist, right? Yep. So essentially what happens is, you know, in place is the dispute that we spoke of in the last episode. Hogan won at WrestleMania 3. About a month and a half later, Andre the Giant appears on TV for the first time and says, I pinned Hogan, one, two, three. And the ref just pretended like I didn't. And he shows the footage. And essentially the narrative becomes, even though you can't see the ref's hand hit the mat for the third time, the agreed narrative becomes that the ref's hand did hit the mat for a third time, but Hogan's shoulder, according to the ref, came up just before that, like a millisecond before it, essentially. Yeah, I like how they do this completely after the fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's great the way they set it up, you know, like, yep, let's just plan this out. Let's do it. Um, the way they shot it, they could get away with things like that. You know, like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, his hand hit a third time. Right. Like, okay. Yeah, we don't have video footage to contradict that. So that'll work. Wasn't, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram and everything where we could see 18, 18 different angles of everything. and <laughs> Right. And just get away with stuff like that back then. So mm-hmm. it was believable. So what happens is essentially they start... Week by week, they start teasing that there's going to be a brand new special event, a pay-per-view, coming in November around Thanksgiving. And and that's all it is, the Survivor Series, it's going to be called. And then like a week or so later, I think they say it's going to be five-on-five elimination matches. And then, you know, they let that simmer for a week. And then the next week, it's announced that the main event will be Hulk Hogan's team versus Andre the Giant's team. And I think it's maybe a week after that they start doing, like, who's going to be on whose team. Yeah. Yeah, these these five-on-five matches are... I mean, they're, they're almost nostalgic now with us. They, they go back and forth, I guess, some years, but generally it's not as many of these as it is just... You know, big time pay per view one on one matches. Yeah, so it's yeah. fun. To go and, back and that's fun. To this very first one and the intentions of it and stuff. Right. So in 1987, 88, 89, and 90, it was only elimination matches with teams. Then in 91, they introduced a singles match for the first time. And then in 92, they only had one Survivor Series match. In 93, they went to a, um, there was a tag team match, and then all Survivor Series matches. And then 94 had two singles matches, and the rest were all Survivor Series, which I think was only like three to four matches. And then 95, they were kind of, they started to be more fast and loose with the concept. I think they had three Survivor Series, maybe four Survivor Series matches that night, but also three singles matches. And so, then after that, year by year, it was, I think in 98, there weren't any, maybe one, maybe one. But yeah, anyway, it the concept really got loosened to the point where nowadays, the, they do Survivor Series matches, again, which is awesome, but there's always the one big one, you know what I mean? Like, this is the main event, and it'll go like 45 minutes. Yep. And I, I don't know if that's, like, what the reason was for that if it wasn't you know if they kind of went through all of the the possibilities 
um, of those kinds of matches and it got tired or people weren't into them as much as one-on-ones or just whatever, whatever the case. Um, so we are in November, as I said. Uh, the first thing that we were going to talk about was an episode of Primetime Wrestling from November 19th. And this is Andre's team interview, Hogan's team interview, fun stuff like that. Um, so I have a note on here, James, that okay. Andre was a, um, what do you call it, a forerunner to The Undertaker. He says that he is coming for Hogan's soul. Chuck! Hogan! I'm here for one reason, Hogan. I'm here for your soul. And tonight, Hogan, I will be the survivor. Over a ton of determination, I wouldn't want to be in anybody's shoes facing Andre. I'll- yeah, so that is a uh, Princess Bride quote he's doing there. <laughs> he was very that. proud. Yeah, yeah, he was super proud of his work in The Princess Bride. And there's a part where the good guys are invading the castle. And because the character of the Dread Pirate Roberts is sort of this, like, almost like a boogeyman to most people, right? They just put a giant cloak on Andre the Giant. And stick him on a wheelbarrow and roll him in so he looks even bigger. And he starts yelling about being the Dread Pirate Roberts. There will be no survivors. And he finishes it with, the Dread Pirate Roberts is coming for your souls. <laughs> and so, so, I, you'll I'm, see he's smiling the whole time when he says it. It's because he's I having know, a good time. I noticed that. I was kind of like, um, okay, but yeah, I'm showing my ignorance. I'm not... The biggest Princess Bride fan I've seen at once. You should watch it again because it's so good, Josh. <laughs> Maybe I don't own it or anything, so don't worry. Um, I could give you. <laughs> I used to have an extra copy. Oh, but I, I don't get how you, as a movie fan, don't love it almost just out of principle. Like I'm sure I'm wrong, but in my head, it's sort of the Citizen Kane type movie where even if you don't like it, you have to kind of like it. Am I overestimating it here? Do you just compare Princess Bride to the Citizen Kane? Not in the sense that they're anything alike, but like from reputation wise, it would be like if you said Gone with the Wind sucks. Oh yeah. (laughs) Even if you think it's boring, it's sort of like you can't really say it sucks because of how much it accomplished at the time and what it did. Yeah. And so when I'm thinking Princess Bride, you know, it's this very satirical, and I love the book too, but this very satirical, you know, like swashbuckling adventure movie sort of making fun of all those, but it's also the greatest swashbuckling adventure movie of all time. And it really set the table for things like Shrek to come later on. A lot of the Disney movies, the Pixar stuff right now started with this very kid friendly, but this very intelligent kind of kid movie. Gotcha. Yeah. It, no, it, I just I just don't remember it <laughs> all that well. I like I said, I saw it as a I guess a kid, maybe a little like teens or something, but I just never got into it afterwards and never saw it again. So, um, so Bill, like I'll say, Bill saw it in college. I think for the first time, I want to say, mm-hmm. and he didn't like it. And I think what he sort of said was, I think you probably had to see this movie as a kid to love it. There yeah. might be something to that. 
I thought that for the longest time about Star Wars, and then I ended up um, falling in love with it, even though I hadn't seen it as a kid. So I don't know. Sorry. See, we're talking movies. We need to do this on a podcast. Yeah, we should. You're the Uh-oh. expert, man. <laughs> so, okay, James. Um, Heenan calls Hogan a 300-pound turkey, which I freaking love. I thought it was cool to see these five top guys all in one scene getting interviewed with their managers there, too. I just thought it was a neat thing. Like, wow, look at all these 80 stars right now. Yeah, I'm... I'm Really, like, wishing I could be a kid in the 80s and seeing this for the first time, because it just looks like so much fun. I felt like the anticipation for Hogan and Andre was really building here. Like, I don't know. I mean, it had been, whatever, eight months. And this is a little bit of a payoff, but still not really a a one-on-one. At the end of that episode, Heenan says, if you want him, you got him, which I think is funny because it's kind of turning it around as if Hogan's dying to get into the ring with with Andre. We get to the night of Survivor Series. Andre's team is pumped up, (laughs) which is pretty fun. Hogan's pumping his team up in the pre-match interviews. I I don't know if I like it. It was funny to me. Do you remember Hogan's headband? Is this the one that was tattered? Like... The tattered headband he wore in, like, the second half of 87. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about the Survivor Series match. I really love this match. David Meltzer actually called this one of, if not maybe, the best pay-per-view to date at the point that it happened. Nice. Yeah. And the matches are all just, like, none of them are all-time great matches, but they're all good to very good. And so the main event is probably the match of the night. So that was cool, too. It really delivered. And in the match, what happens is Hulk Hogan finally gets his hands on Andre. And so he starts unloading with fists, starts going nuts. While he bounces off the rope, he had just knocked King Kong Bundy, one of Andre's teammates, out of the ring. And so Bundy grabs Hogan's leg and pulls him out. And so Hogan starts brawling with Bundy. One man gang jumps down. Hogan's brawling with one man gang. He slams Bundy, then he slams one-man gang, and then he goes to get back in the ring, but 10 seconds have passed. So Hulk Hogan's counted out of the match. He lost in the main event. And he doesn't want to leave, but the refs make him. He's pointing and yelling at Andre. Andre's pointing and yelling at him, just like the Battle Royal, again, sort of some cool symmetry there. Essentially, it comes down to just... Bam Bam Bigelow versus Andre, Gang, and Bundy. And Bam Bam gets rid of Bundy. He gets rid of one-man gang, but he can't overcome Andre the Giant. And Andre debuts his new finisher, that front face lock suplex thing, pins Bam Bam. And Andre the Giant is the sole survivor in the main event of the first Survivor Series pay-per-view. Andre's team beat Hogan's team. And so to Andre, this is like, I beat Hogan at WrestleMania 3, no matter what the ref said, and now I've beat him at Survivor Series. I'm 2-0 against Hogan. Hogan runs down and like knocks Andre down with the belt and then poses. And apparently this was the beginning of this Vince McMahonism, where he would insist that Hulk Hogan posed to end every show, whether he won or lost. God. And so the phrase that uh, Bruce Pritchard always talks about Vince using is, Hogan must pose, damn it. Hogan must pose. And that was the happy ending. That was how they'd always send fans home happy as Hogan's music would be playing. He'd pose and then he'd leave. 
And they did that for the next 10 years. Is that right? And, <laughs> they did it all the way through when Hogan left in 92 for the most part. And so anyway, yeah, Andre wins that Survivor Series. Nothing really huge comes from the fallout of it. It's just Andre's team won. Okay. It's enough reference later. Right. Yeah, for the reference that they could have with it later. Cut to what's been going on in the background since August. There's been a new character introduced. And his name, you may have heard of him, the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. Josh, what do you think about Ted DiBiase? I love Ted DiBiase. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I may be biased because I met him. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> Good guy? Yeah, he was. He's gigantic. I mean, you know, to like a whatever I was, 13-year-old kid. I remember just thinking, like, holy crap, like, there's not people this size in my town um he's not even a particularly big guy but just how all wrestlers back then were at least whatever six two or something but no i love million dollar man he's an amazing heel super hateable (laughs) like really weird despicable things he did back then so let's um, talk about that. You said he's super hateable. But just what are some of the things? Because let's well, explain what his character was at this point. He, this whole thing is, you know, everybody has a price, meaning, and you know, everybody can be bought out. One that comes to mind is the girl that he had get down on her hands and knees and bark like a dog. And now on Thanksgiving, a lot of you people out there think that you even had to get down on your knees to give thanks. <laughs> well, I remember a woman who thought that she had to get out on all fours for an opportunity to make some of the million-dollar man's money. <laughs> How about a great big dog? A great, big, great Dane dog. Now, this is your last bark. Let's really hear it. You can do better than that. Come on. Okay. I always think about the one with the kid and the basketball. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. Go ahead, <laughs> Like, he offers somebody... $500 if they can dribble a basketball 15 times. And so they bring up this looks like a six, seven year old kid, just like this cute as a button little boy. Mm-hmm. And so he gets to like 13, and then Teddy Biasi sticks his foot out, and the basketball goes flying. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Whoops! We didn't get to 15, Sean. You didn't get to 15, did you? No. He didn't make 15. And you know what that means? What that means, Sean, is you've got to learn a hard, cruel fact of life. When you don't do the job right, you don't get paid. (laughs) It's like, oh... Oh, look at that. You failed. You know what happens when you don't get the job done, kid? You don't get paid. And then he laughs maniacally. And the kid goes running off and he cries to his mom. There's a funny real life story about that. But on camera, it looked so good. He just looked like the biggest piece of crap walking when he did that. Yeah. And that's what I think, you know, it's funny. As I say, oh, I love (laughs) Ted DiBiase and we're talking about how terrible he is, but that's why he was so good is he could make people hate him. Obviously yeah. there's some things that don't age well. <laughs> um, like what? <laughs> like Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
I mean, aside from Verge was just being a terrible character in, in general, <laughs> um, I, I, all these interviews and stuff that we watch, I just every single one of them, he's just fanning out like whatever five thousand dollars and just standing there looking at the camera awkwardly, just holding money like it. <laughs> He's the bodyguard. He he protects the million dollar man and he holds his money to show it off to people. <laughs> That's so weird. He never got to talk, never got to yeah, speak on the mic. Never talked. And and I felt like he wasn't a I mean, he wasn't a good enough wrestler to have that kind of build and then have the the turn, you know, that fun like I'm done taking your crap kind of um, you know, we're not talking about former world champion Virgil here, you know, so right. I don't know. That was always he had a really good 1991. He had a really strong year in 1991. Yep. And then when he joined NWO, that was his <laughs> other career highlight. Yeah, um, so like the dumbest inside joke ever was they got the name for Virgil because Bobby Heenan suggested it as a joke because that's Dusty Rhodes' real name. And Dusty was the uh, star and writer for the NWA at the time, their rival organization. Yeah. And then when Virgil went to WCW, they called him Vincent, of course, after Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty... Pretty right. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> It's all pretty dumb, pretty petty. <laughs> but regardless, we have a great new heel in town, and uh, he he's doing these these kind of shows and of you know his money and how nobody can um, obtain it and stuff like that, like the kid thing and all that. And of course, uh, who? <laughs> Go ahead, James. No, yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah, he strip people of their dignity in order to offer them just something that was essentially table scraps to him that meant nothing to him. There's a lot of these, you know, instances of of showing what that's like, where he has everybody has a price, says that over and over, drilling that line into into the um, crowd and stuff. And then there's a... I love this, this kind of um, angle here where he's he's giving one of those interviews again and I love those interviews back in the day where they're like out in the middle of the crowd um, it's just kind of a, a unique yeah, they're, they're standing on a podium in the yep. middle of the crowd yeah I loved it too I thought those look so good visually they're great um, sorry I'm laughing because I'm reading these notes so DiBiase says everybody has a price everybody in the crowd would have a price um I'm sorry, everybody, who is everybody? You know, everybody is the crowd. Everybody is Hogan. And, of course, when he says Hogan, the crowd, like, freaks out and don't mess with our guy kind of thing. And he says that he's going to buy the world championship. Well, can we can we back up super quick? Yeah, sure. All right, so let's, let's do that Saturday night's main event first. Okay. All right. So... I the match this is like right after Survivor Series I think literally like the next week okay yep and so the match is Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy which King Kong Bundy is managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan and Heenan announces that Andre the Giant will be in Bundy's corner for the match yeah 
what happens is Andre the Giant, yeah, he trips Hogan when Hogan's running into the ropes to drop the leg. And so instead of ending the match, the referee just throws Andre the Giant out. And Andre, he's yelling, he leaves. Is this where he shoves? Yeah, he shoves the cameraman, right? Yeah. That was awesome. (laughs) The crowd crowd is pissed. They're just booing the crap out of him. Andre the Giant is, on this night, one of the greatest heels in the history of wrestling. <laughs> he's just out there. He's in his you know, suit clothes. He's sweating right through him. But, my goodness, he was hated beyond belief there. Yeah, for sure. It's working. All of the stuff he's doing is getting people to hate him. And, this again, this is fresh off beating Hogan. And how dare he beat Hulk Hogan? You know, Hogan's so beloved back then. And the match ends. Bundy actually wins by count out when Hogan and Bundy get outside the ring. Hogan beats up Bundy, throws him back in. And when Hogan goes to get in himself, Bobby Heenan, he grabs Hogan's leg and he holds on to it for dear life, which prevents Hogan from being able to lift it to get back into the ring. And the ref can't see it happening. So he counts Hogan out and Bundy wins by count out. And they announced there will be a rematch uh, about a month and a half out from then on another Saturday night's main event, again for the title. And this time, Andre the Giant has procured a manager's license, so he'll be out for the full match no matter what happens. And this is all awesome. This is all cool. This brings us to the podium interview, Josh. Um, Says he's going to buy the world championship. I love here is Gorilla... (laughs) Says he isn't sure if there's anything in the bylaws preventing. Right, right off the bat, Gorilla jumps on the legality of it. <laughs> Which I don't know. They kind of they kind of run with that for a few weeks, talking about the bylaws. <laughs> I don't know that they exist. I like Bobby Heenan's reaction too, because that played in perfectly to what was going to happen about a month down the line. <laughs> Do you remember that? Um, I don't. Okay, so he. And right away, Bobby Heenan goes, wait, 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 wait. He can't buy the belt. He's trying to, he's trying to step in on what we're doing. It, it's our title. Me, me and Andre. We're, we're, no, he, he can't. Do, he, this can't be allowed. This can't be legal. I, I'm going to look into this right now. And he picks up his phone and he places a call to somebody. Yeah. And again, that's when they go to commercial. And that's sort of like where Heenan stands that episode is he's against Ted DiBiase. The next week... He softened his stance a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm sure Mr. DiBiase has looked into this. It's, it, it, it must be all fine. The girl's like, wait, wait, wait. Last week you were you were up in arms. Well, I've had a chance to cool down. You know, there's lots of great stars in the WWF. Ted DiBiase's one of them. It's like, wait, what? what's going on? What is going on? It's like, I, I just recognize talent. And obviously I manage Andre the Giant, the greatest talent in wrestling. And... Teddy Biasi is another great talent. And and that was just sort of it. Like right away, you're like, okay, something fishy has happened here, right? And again, that's it. It's kind of cool. And while this is going on in this second episode, the next week, we also get Jack Tunney's reaction where yeah. they ask him, would somebody be allowed? Teddy Biasi said, I'm going to buy the title. And they asked Tunney, will this be allowed? Can you buy a belt? And Jack Tunney said, I don't know. We've never had this situation before. I'm looking into, again, the bylaws, I think, right? Which, you know, is five days later. So it's a, it's a big book that they're flipping through. <laughs> to try to find. 
Um, <laughs> but I do, I do like where it's heading. Um, so a week later on the next primetime wrestling, you know, it's just kind of like been in the minds of all, all the little hulksters, whether or not he's going to sell out. And, and they had even asked Hogan on that Tunny week, remember? And Hogan just said, I- I'm not ready to talk about it. I-, I don't know. I'm just not ready to talk about it right now. Let's an answer next week, week, which is classic, keep watching kind of tactic. He starts out with his response. On the podium again, right? The they bring podium. Hogan out to the podium. This guy, I-, I meant to ask you, I don't know how long this guy was around, um, if he was there for the next couple of years, but I love this interviewer. He's Sean Mooney you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Sean Mooney was around for a long time. He had like a five, six year run. And yeah, he did a great job as the interview guy kind of doing their updates between matches and and to uh, promote local shows. He was good. And he has a podcast now, too. Does he really? He does. Yeah, he has, has his own podcast where he'll talk about old wrestling stuff and just whatever's on his mind. Is he like a Vince Russo type, a Eric Bischoff type? He is a if I haven't I don't listen to his podcast week to week, but from what I can gather, he is a humble and feet on the ground type of guy. He feels like he had a good run. He got to work with a lot of really talented people. And well, that's funny because that's kind of what the vibe I got. Um, It's he just looks like he's so happy to be there. You know, I I feel like especially when he's talking to Hogan, he just looks like giddy, but not like a. I don't know. He kind of reminds me of Ariel Hawani, who's like, you know, just a very, like you were saying, very humble, down to earth guy who just loves his job. I just said all that. You know what? I think the interviewer may have been this guy, Craig DeGeorge. Okay. I, I looked up remember. Sean Mooney and I'm like, I, I know Sean Mooney. So hold on. Let me look up this Craig De- Craig DeGeorge. I am, I'm bringing up a video right now. Maybe it'll have it on it. I don't know. <laughs> Yes, this is the guy. Sean Mooney is cool. Um, <laughs> but Craig DeGeorge is the one that looks like he's just like, holy crap, I'm talking to Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Hogan comes out and they ask him about the offer. And Hogan's, he says, you know, thinking about money all day will make you a little loopy, man. And I was like, that's it? <laughs> that's what I needed to hear. I've been thinking about money all the time and just doing that alone will make you loopy. <laughs> So, so if you just watch wrestling all the time, God speaks to you. <laughs> Pretty much. I just, that was what I needed to hear. That's how I can make sense of everything that I had been going through. It's, like, it oh. it's totally true. Um, it is. And again, it's like you said, God can use anything. Even Hulk Hogan, brother. I mean, he used Jonah. <laughs> so he thinks about um, all the stuff he could do to help his family, charity for, for the Hulksters. Um, but his response is a another, uh, what do you call it, forerunner for a, another legend, Stone Cold. Another great Hogan response. Yeah, yeah. I like how Hogan... No. Yes, pretty great. Uh, But I I love—I just love this angle because it's setting DiBiase up as a, you know, and somewhat even match for Hogan puts Hogan over even more as you know a good guy would never sell out. Mm -hmm. Great, and it puts way around. It is, and it makes DiBiase sort of like the Lex Luthor to Hogan's Superman. Like, okay, physically this guy can't match up, but 
the other angle, the money, he's not just going to give up. He's got money. He's got ego. This is the late 80s, so we're very much in the era of Wall Street and like trying to just get money and not caring about, quote-unquote, more important things. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. He was a, the perfect character at the perfect time. So we move on to the next primetime wrestling right before the end of the year. You got fans reacting to Hogan's decision, which is just essentially saying, uh, of course he wouldn't sell out. He's the best, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, they always call it selling out. I knew he would never sell out to DiBiase. (laughs) (laughs) I remember as a kid seeing that and thinking like, oh, but he could have given all that money to charity. Those kids really need that money. Yeah. He could win it back later. He didn't let us down, though, James. That's what they say. (laughs) What do those kids know? They should have asked me. Hulk is number one and will never give in to the million dollar man. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, every, every quote was like some version of that. So like earnest. So uh, the next thing we go back to the podium. Yeah. All right. So they asked for DiBiase's reaction to Hogan denying to sell the belt. Right. Mm-hmm. And so DiBiase gives an awesome interview here where he calls Hogan a 330-pound fool, and people boo. Oh, what? Boo. You can't call Hogan a fool. And DiBiase goes, that's right. A fool, Hogan. A fool not to accept the most generous offer of the million-dollar man. Uh And um, he brings up that people say there's more than one way to skin a cat. Well, I say there's more than one way to humble Hulk Hogan. And then promises that one way or another, the WWF title will be his. Got it. Yeah. And and that's the end of the interview. It only takes a couple of minutes, man. It's not so long, but it's great. It's great. It's cool stuff. So so anyway, sorry. You're fine. Um, Yeah, I kind of geeked for that promo. I thought it was really good and really to the point. I do think things sort of are belabored a bit too much nowadays. Yeah. You've got to fill that three hours, James. I know. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, 1988 is here. Um, We are on Saturday Night Main Event. First thing of the year, January 2nd, Saturday Night's Main Event, the rematch for the title. Hogan versus Bundy with Andre having a manager's license in Bundy's corner. So, of course, Andre attacks him. Shocker, right? After Hogan wins. Hogan wins clean to just settle this once and for all. Hogan's, of course, better than King Kong Bundy. What I thought was really weird, um, and I don't know, I might be reading too much into this. Hogan's music is playing. And they have it continue to play during the attack, which I felt like was really ominous. These, mm-hmm. like, decades after any time anybody did anything, the music stopped, which is kind of just like a weird fourth wall. Like, why would, <laughs> uh, you know, the guy in the truck is just like, hold on, we can't have any music playing while somebody's being attacked or whatever. Um, so this just felt out of place. Maybe it happened a lot back then, and I just don't don't remember, but... I thought that that was kind of um, a cool way to make Andre just seem like really crazy. You know, where that came from, that may have been, and I 
hate myself right now because I can't remember this guy's name, and I'll remember it the second we hang up. But the dude that is generally credited with reformatting Saturday Night Live, like if you've ever seen any of the 70s and early 80s episodes, mm-hmm. it's a much different layout than from how it was essentially from like 1985 up until today. The format's never changed. And the guy that gets credited for that used to help WWF with Saturday night's main event. He would essentially, he improved the production of the entire WWF just by them getting to watch how he did things. He worked closely with them on Saturday night's main event every time. And so that, and again, like a lot of the things he interviewed, like, Oh, you need lights here. You need to light the crowd. You, need to if we're gonna do a jake the snake interview let's do it in the bathroom it's just sort of like not in the bathroom like let's do it in like a shower it's just sort of like wet and creepy and he should have the snake on his shoulder and it'll just be uncomfortable and a lot of that stuff was his call so he may have had the idea we should have hogan's celebration music playing while andre the giant is just just beating the crap out of them yeah that would be such a creepy thing and again it is sort of like you're seeing the legend of superman get destroyed a little bit when it happens yeah it's pretty great because it's like you know you know andre's out there he's gonna something's gonna go down but the way that it did ended up being a very i don't know just put put the thought in your mind that maybe he could beat hogan yeah and it started again like this very heroic thing like hogan pins bundy he challenges andre to come in andre takes a couple steps and then he backs off like nope not now and then hogan starts posing again we're happy ending but then andre takes it all the way sticks up behind him headbutt and then like chokes him down so he <laughs> he holds up the title which is awesome um so badass and basically, the entire locker room comes out. Yeah, right? like, Andre won't let go of the choke. The British Bulldogs come out first, I think. And he just, like, grabs them both by the head, rams their heads together, tosses them both over at the top rope simultaneously. And then, again, like, eight, nine, strike force, Jake the Snake, all the good guys just empty out, trying to beat Andre down. <laughs> And then lastly, Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out, two by four in hand, clears everybody out of the way, and then whacks Andre on the back. And that's enough to make Andre let go and turn his head toward Duggan. And then everybody else grabs Hogan and jumps out of the ring, and Duggan gets out of the ring too. So the only thing left is Andre in the belt. And Andre just lifts it up and says, yep. That wasn't very hard, and it won't be the next time either. And people just rain down booze on him. Yeah, and, uh, and I love next week or so on the primetime wrestling. Heenan was saying what a what a beautiful picture, his hand raised and Hogan being carted out, <laughs> kind of reiterating what happened and how you know right. uh, good for him, good for business. Uh, it's good yeah. for America. Yeah. And so the week after the attack on Saturday night's main event, Ted DiBiase has another podium interview, and he brings out Andre the Giant, right? Yeah. So now we'd had the foreshadowing where why why is Bobby Heenan suddenly so 
amicable towards Ted DiBiase. Well, apparently Ted DiBiase maybe took him out, whatever. I, I know at some point Ted DiBiase like buys his way on to hosting primetime wrestling, but I can't remember when that is. With Bobby Heenan being so amicable towards Ted DiBiase, and now it's like, oh, DiBiase got in good with him. He saw Andre destroy Hogan, and now Ted DiBiase says, I'm still going to buy the title. I'm just going to have Andre beat you for it, and then I'll buy it from Andre. And Andre's on the podium with him now. You see, Hogan, you're a fool. I am not a fool. I don't let opportunity pass me by. Mr. DiBiase, thank you again, because all you're buying is what we plan to do anyway. Guaranteed the World's Heavyweight Championship, because we're going to be Hogan like we've done before. Thank you. Andre, will you deliver to me the Million Dollar Man, the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight title? Mr. DiBiase, I will tell you one thing. I will deliver that belt, the World War Wrestling Federation. And I will enjoy it, Hogan. And now... Just like Roddy Piper was kind of the third man in the first leg of the feud, Ted DiBiase is definitely the third man in the second leg of the feud. Absolutely. And it, it works great. I like the idea. They know Andre's on his way out, and he's helping to take over like, the next big heel. And Heenan being wrapped up in the mix only only helps. So I do have it written down here. Craig DeGeorge's name. Uh, okay, so it is Craig DeGeorge. At least this one. So this is the primetime wrestling uh, where he announces that they will have a rematch. And forgive me, but this is on just like a random Friday night, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the rematch? The rematch, yeah. February 13th, I think. It... So what's the deal with that? I mean, I, I was wondering because Royal Rumble's right there, right? Uh, right. So I thought maybe they would do it then. Here's why. Okay, so the Royal Rumble in 1988, it was the first ever Royal Rumble. Again, just like the first ever Survivor Series. It was on the USA Network. At the time of this going on, the WWF was so hot that even in the uh, Saturday Night Live era of Dana Carvey, John Lovitz, Mike Myers was about to come on, but... Dennis Miller, Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, a lot of the classics, cast members on that show. Saturday night's main event would get better ratings. And it was to the point where Vince McMahon apparently, I think, approached the people at NBC. Actually, Bruce Pritchard told the story where he was in a meeting with Vince, where he was talking to NBC people. And he said, so we're going to have Andre beat Hogan for the title. What would you think about running it on NBC in prime time? And apparently the executives were like, Hogan's going to lose. And at the time, again, they had only recently admitted wrestling was fake. Bruce Pritchard sort of had this butt pucker like, don't give away the business. Don't you got to protect the business. Don't you tell them it's fake. They're not on the inside. But he kept his mouth shut. <laughs> and so apparently when Vince said that, they all were like, OK. and. That was why, you know, they put it on a Friday night. It did this ungodly huge rating for being pro wrestling in prime time. It, the rating was just massive. It was, I think, at that point, the most watched wrestling match 
in history for a rating. That might still be the case, actually. Jeez. That's why it was on Friday night. They wanted it to be on network television in prime time. And they got it. That was the biggest audience they were going to get. And so they ran one of the biggest angles of all time with this giant audience. At the time, where we are right now, Primetime Wrestling, this is where they announced the match for the first time. I noted he also mentions the controversy in passing to kind of just try to... I, I just like that. You know, a three. Controversial at the time, but they kind of retro actively make it out to be this thing where it wasn't a clear-cut victory for Hogan. The night of the show, you can't do that because that would be like such a screw job to the pain audience, you know? Right. You can't do like, he won, but did he really win? I thought the way they handled it was perfectly. You let everybody get the moment. Okay, this had an ending, had a definitive ending. We're very happy with this show. We got what we wanted out of it. And then six weeks later, you have the guy go... Well, I I pinned him because I, I remember as a fan being a kid thinking like, no, you didn't. He's just he's just saying that he, he didn't really get the pin. Hogan got his shoulder up. Right. But I don't know. I think they got it both ways. Like they had their cake and they ate it too. there. <laughs> they got the definitive ending that sent everybody home happy. They waited long enough to let it sink in. And then once that moment, you know, was kind of over, they're like, OK. Now let's do the follow-up angle. Let's not take it away from people before they have time to enjoy it. But that's just my thoughts. What did you think about it? Like the retrofitting? Did you think it worked or kind of not? No, I thought it worked great because, I mean, like you said, it's just, I don't know. Watching it all together like this, I'm kind of like, okay, the end. You know, he he beat him at WrestleMania. That's kind of, I'd say, like the casual fan or even like I'm somewhere in between casual and hardcore. Like I... I just don't know stuff from the 80s as well. So in my head, it was like, and that was the culmination of Andre and Hogan, you know, but to let it go on for another year, the way that they did it, I think it was the best way for it to make sense because outside of that, you're just like, okay, well, Hogan already beat him. Who cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I feel like they do, you know, a lot in later years, just because there's, only so many stories you can tell, but sometimes it is just like either like we really hate each other, so we want to do it again, or you know that like Deviasi, there's some sort of third party coming in. Um, but I like how they did that, and I felt like it worked really well. It was really believable. So yeah, so they announced the match, and then later they announce that the contract signing for the match will happen at the Royal Rumble. Yes, and I I like this contract signing a lot because it's where it belongs in the middle of the ring i don't know what they were doing before doing it backstage i mean come on um <laughs> gotta have a table there so you know somebody's gonna go through it all of the all of the classic stuff they even have what i love what i love is hogan and street clothes um yes he has jeans and a cowboy cowboy boots on so yeah um, Andre signs like, it. DiBiase says, "Put your official stamp of approval on it." And oh, uh, that was so cool! Like, yeah, yeah. That title will be bought and paid for around my waist, and you, you will be history. That's it. Sign it. Go ahead, sign it. You just signed your career away, Hogan. Oh, oh, oh. stamp of approval. Oh. 
Obviously, this whole contract signing is great. He's yelling the date and the time like hype man or something. I love it because it's like, you know, we're heading towards Diviasi getting the, the limelight, but he's fine completely putting Andre over at the same time, you know? Yeah, Ted Diviasi, his dad was a wrestler. He grew up in the business. And he knew what an association with Andre the Giant on screen meant for him professionally and meant for him backstage. Essentially, this would make your career. And so he was very humbled. The way he wrote, I read his book, he said it was very humbled that Andre the Giant was so eager to accept him in this role. And so he was, again, would always defer limelight back to Andre the Giant. And like you said, he was perfect. He he would shine when it was his turn to shine, and then he would graciously step away when it was Andre's turn. He wouldn't try to take the spotlight away from Andre. It's really, I mean, it's really smart. It, I feel like it's such a short-sighted thing to let your ego get in the way and try to get all of the limelight, because it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? It doesn't work thematically that way. So, like I said, he's he's amazing in this. Of course... <laughs> Uh, shit goes down. He gets takes he- Hogan and smashes his head onto the table. Uh, <laughs> pretty brutal for back then, I think. So yeah, just a great contract signing the way that they're mm-hmm. meant to be. And then they each get an interview after the contract signing, and that's great too because it, it was such a short turnaround for this match. I think they announced it maybe three weeks out, mm-hmm. and then. They announced the contract signing, then that was at the Royal Rumble, and the match was like two weeks later, I want to say. And yeah, it was doing these interviews after the contract signing. The way things were paced in the 80s, you would just sort of meditate on things for a minute. It wouldn't be like angle, 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 angle. It would be angle, but then we got to talk about the angle to make it important. And so when they do an angle, like contract signing, uh, DiBiase screaming at Hogan, Andre slams Hogan's face on the table and turns it over on him, and then they both just, Andre and DiBiase walk off like, yep, get ready because that picture of Hogan laying on the mat, you're going to see that again. Yeah. We get Ted DiBiase saying, you just signed away your title. I hope you're happy, dummy. Andre saying, my hands fit around you perfectly. They did on Saturday night's main event. They did here, and they'll do it again on the main event. And then Hogan responding, you can't take short. He said, like, if you're going to be the WWF champion, you got to play this thing straight. You got to walk the straight and narrow. You can't take shortcuts. And that's what you're going to learn, which was, again, famous last words. Right. I love this. The nuance of it, the symmetry, the foreshadowing, it's all so well done. We move on to primetime wrestling. 2-1, February 1st. It's a Hogan interview where he's saying that he's tired of hearing about the controversial count. Essentially saying none of this should come as a surprise. Should have known Hulkster never would have sold out. Has this weird thing where he talks about Trump um, as an example of a good businessman. Uh, right. So, yeah. Again, he's talking about having 
integrity and not putting all of your investments into one spot. And so he says, look at the great businessmen. Look at the Donald Trumps, the Howard Hughes's. They don't invest their entire life savings in one thing. And so he uses the example of that to kind of illustrate, Andre, you've put all your eggs in the basket of Ted DiBiase's money. You've sacrificed everything you believed in just to get some of DiBiase's money. But me and my Hulkamaniac, we spread it out. We spread it out over the training, the prayers, the vitamins, the big man upstairs, most of all, and supporting each other. I thought it was like a cool promo because the way Hogan frames things, it's never really Hogan versus Andre. It's always good versus evil. Right. Again, we talked about in a previous episode, Hogan a lot of times will reference essentially like doing right because there is a God and he does care about people doing the right thing. And again, Hogan does it here. You're selling out everything you believe in for money, just like before. And we're going to win because we're right. We're going to win because we should win. And so I thought this was great. I thought it was a great almost pep rally type of promo. What did you think? Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, leading into a event that's not a standard primetime wrestling Saturday night kind of thing. The one other note I had is that he says that he answers to that big bank tower up in the sky. Uh, yes, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh, Andre says that he will get him, you know, down for the count. One, two, three is pretty much <laughs> give Ted the world championship after that. So, so that's two one. I think that's it, right? We're at the main event now. Yeah, we're at the main event. <laughs> it's really so good bef- title. Yeah, <laughs> the main event. So the show opens up in typical Saturday night's main event fashion with some. Really quick one-off comments from all of the participants in the matches before the show. They do this Hulk Hogan training vignette where he's lifting weights and they're playing what would eventually become Jake the Sink Roberts theme music in the background while he's doing it. Mm -hmm. So this was really, really 80s. Watching it, I thought, like, this is a pretty cool way of showing how seriously Hogan is taking this match because it's really 80s. It's very cheesy but also it's just like he's in this dimly lit gym they're playing this ominous music and it just shows him lifting weights or doing zoom ins on his biceps and things like that on his back muscles (laughs) pretty great all right so you thought it was great i couldn't i didn't know if you'd think it was like the dumbest crap ever or kind of (laughs) cool i meant pretty great as in pretty ridiculous <laughs> um okay <laughs> i mean it's a training montage so it's gonna be ridiculous uh, <laughs> he's got the weightlifting weightlifting belt on which is great yeah he just looks like a beast to end it hogan does one of his poses in front of the mirror and he starts maniacally laughing and there we go we've heard dibiase laugh maniacally over and over now we see hogan laughing maniacally and then we get pre-match interviews, right? I don't remember a thing about them. Do you have anything written down? Um, DiBiase says the belt is going to fit around his waist like Andre's hands fit around Hogan's throat. Yeah, there's just a lot of weird choking stuff. Like Andre says uh, once he gets his hands on him, he will squeeze and never stop. <laughs> DiBiase is just weirdly laughing the entire time that he's saying that, so... 
Yeah, just a lot of uh, choking threats. <laughs> and then cue the magic. We are at the match. Andre Hogan. If you count Survivor Series, this is three. So the match is pretty short. I think it's like five to eight minutes, right? Yeah, they get the point across. Andre chokes Hogan. Virgil and DiBiase are at ringside. They're being a menace. Hogan body slams Andre, and he drops the leg. And DiBiase jumps up on the apron. And Josh, you want to take it from here? The place, by the way, when Hogan comes out, it's insane how big of an ovation he got. The cr- I just have a lot of notes throughout the entire thing that the crowd is is going crazy. Virtual distracts the ref. Hogan lands um, the leg drop, counts to three. But of course, the ref is kind of distracted by Virgil. I wrote this note, which I don't know if you'll agree, but Andre does the crappiest suplex ever. Don <laughs> <laughs> Hogan. By the way, did you like that DiBiase is so rich that he can't even be bothered to be the one to distract the referee? Right. He has his bodyguard do that. that. That's what the money is for. So That's sort of a cool uh, little character thing, but yeah. So the ref counts <laughs> three, even though... Hogan's shoulder comes up at like one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the referee, and like it's clearly like way up in the air, way off the mat. The ref just counts Here. straight through the yeah. shoulder coming up like two, yeah. three. And then he calls for the bell. And Hogan pops right up like, what just happened? And Vince McMahon is aghast on commentary. Two. He's, he can't be giving the title to Andre. He can't be. Kepler counted three. In wrestling, you don't go by instant replays. This ain't football. It's the referee's decision. I can't believe what a stupid mistake that was. I was just... I can't 
the referee. He's going to present it. He presents it to Andre. Raises his hand. We have a new world champion. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this fight. No. And new world wrestling federation heavyweight champion, Andre the Giant. That can't be. There he is, the new world heavyweight champion. The myth of Hulk Hogan's over. There you are, the new world wrestling heavyweight champion. This is no surprise. I told you I was going to win. The world champion championship. And now, I surrender the world champion championship to Paul Tibiasi. Wait a minute. Hold on, Andre. What are you saying? You surrender the title to Tibiasi? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Oh, I can't believe it, ladies and gentlemen. And Hulkster, it's coming over. He's coming after him. And referee made the stupidest decision. I can't believe it. I wrote, there's two Dave Hebners. I don't think that that was a, a quote from the commentators. But um, one of them <laughs> yes. kicks the other one out of the ring. <laughs> it's just funny because he's so small compared to Hogan. Um, right. Hogan grabs him and motions that he was paid off, which I just love the like silent movie <laughs> gestures that Hogan yes. does. Like you gotta play to the top row, man. You gotta right. play to that top row. I'm not gonna get on a mic or anything. I'm just gonna live theater. Yeah. Hands around and show that he was paid off. So then he throws him out of the ring on a DiBiase and Vir- Virgil. And before that, yeah. They they announce Andre as the new champion. Mean Gene jumps in the ring for an interview and Andre Again, going into WrestleMania 3, it was always awesome how cool and casual he was about everything. To go right along with that, Andre says, this is not a surprise. I told you this would happen. And now I surrender the title to the Million Dollar Man. (laughs) And the fact that he uses the phrase surrender the title becomes really important in about two weeks. Yeah, more bylaws. (laughs) He puts the belt around DiBiase's waist. DiBiase's laughing maniacally. And the again, the real Hebner comes out from the back. Hogan figures out who the fake one was. I, I love your we've got two Dave Hebner's quotes. Because if they don't outright say that, that is kind of what they're saying. Yeah, he was introduced first, obviously. Earl is famous later on for a, a different screw job, but. Yeah, so yeah, we should probably be clear what we mean here. Because, again, if you're a wrestling fan, you know this frontwards and backwards. It was so memorable, and it's so celebrated even 30 years later. But what happened was when the ref counted to three, raised Andre's hand, all that followed, this other ref comes up from the back who looks dead on the referee in the ring and starts sort of pointing his finger at him and the other ref that was in the ring starts pointing his finger back. They get into a little shoving match. And then Hogan just, like, grabs them both by the collar and, like, pulls them up to his face. Like, wait, like, what, why are there two referees that, like, th- there's two of you. What's going on? And eventually the one punches the – the one in the ring punches the one that came out from the back. And then he kicks him in the ribs. And then Hogan points to him and starts doing the money sign with his fingers like, oh, he he got paid off. He got paid mm-hmm. off. And so that's the twin referee. The referee from the back was the. So this is 
the thing. The referee in the ring was supposed to be Dave Hebner, right? Mm-hmm. The person that was actually in the ring was his real-life twin, Earl Hebner, who was a referee for the NWA, but had never worked for the WWF before. And the story goes that, like, months prior to this, they were just at a show, and Dave asked Vince if his... He said, like, I've got a twin. He is a referee, too. Would it be okay if he kind of came by just to... So I, so I could introduce him to some of my friends. And Vince was like, you you have a twin? It's like, yeah, yeah, his name's Earl, and, and he's a referee. He's like, yeah. And Vince just went like, yeah, bring him on over. Hmm. And it, Bruce, again, I heard this from Bruce Pritchard on his podcast, Something to Wrestle With. He was saying, Vince didn't say anything, at least not to me, but you could almost see the wheels turning in his head he was making mental notes to remember this this could be really good <laughs> and that's, that's it, genius right it's crazy that just like this random thing like oh yeah i'd like to introduce my brother to some of my friends can he come backstage type thing suddenly becomes one of the biggest wrestling angles of all time and, Hogan, and, and again, the obvious thing is to use him in this way and that they save it, you know, for something like this big, you know. Yeah, yeah, it it was brilliant. You know, don't bring him in sooner, pay him, keep him off TV, and then bring it out on time. Hogan gets interviewed backstage, and he's crying. This shouldn't have been funny, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> oh. Hilarious. Any more disappointed? How much money did they spend on the plastic surgery, man? I had all bases covered. I had the Hulkamaniacs watching. DiBiase. I had Virgil in his place. Never in my wildest dreams, me Gene, would I think that I would get ripped off by a penny pension two-timing referee. How much money on the plastic surgery? How much money did he spend to pay the referee off? When I turned around, me Gene, they were identical. I yeah, he's screaming, asking how much money did DiBiase pay for the plastic surgery? Brother. I swear, there were two of them. Two of them. <laughs> yeah. Identical. Yeah, that's what I wrote down as he yelled, they were identical. <laughs> like... <laughs> Are you dumb? <laughs> like, well, I love that his I love that his freaking go to is that <laughs> it's plastic surgery. Plastic surgery, like what the that hell? was amazing. No, does he have a choice? It's like, oh, DBS, he paid for plastic surgery. <laughs> so good, and it, and it was so much money that um, they're identical. Is how well the plastic surgery is. Um, yeah. <laughs> They were identical! Identical! So the next thing I have is Primetime Wrestling from February 19th. But we should mention, like, this this show was on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. So we have the problem of there being the Saturday morning shows the night after this, right? Yeah. Which were recorded, like, two, three weeks in advance all the time. And so... It, they knew what the finish was going to be. They could have talked about it, but 
they they WWF were so paranoid about this great secret finish for their network television primetime debut getting out that essentially they didn't tell anybody. I think something like six people knew about what the finish was going to be, maybe maybe seven, and that was it. So for the Saturday morning shows, they ran this gimmick where Vince would kind of refer to, I can't believe what happened last night on the main event. And Jesse would say, yeah, I've got a few thoughts on that. I like, and then just this beep sound would play for like five or 10 seconds. And then Jesse Ventura would go, Hey, what, what the hell was that? And he would say, Jack Tunney has decreed that he does not want anybody talking about the finish. He wants time to review it himself. It's like, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that I can't even say, hey, what just happened? And so that's what they would do to cover the weekend shows that they had pre-taped. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we go to primetime? Well... The only other thing I had was from this, I don't even know what this is, some sort of taped, it's DiBiase's only taped appearance with the title. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the only match you ever had that's taped with the title, right? Yep. All right, so it's, what is it, DiBiase and Virgil or Andre? I can't remember. DiBiase and Andre versus Hogan and the Bam Bam Bigelow. (laughs) Yeah, this is, I think it's Madison Square Garden. And Ted DiBiase shows up wearing the WWF title, and he's introduced as the WWF champion. which is so weird. I I feel like they should have built that for at least some TV, but I don't know. Maybe they just didn't want it out there, you know. Making his winner record in the Netherlands Antilles, weighing 250 pounds, the Million Dollar Man, and new World Wrestling Federation heavyweight Like it or not, he's got the belt. What I liked about is again, what is it? Oh, it's it's kind of like flipping the psychology. So you know, they say Hogan went out and got a look alike, <laughs> as if like <laughs> it, it just gets the conspiracy like it's even weirder. Like not only is it that he got plastic surgery, but it's now that it's Hogan went out and found somebody that happened to look like Dave Hebner. Yeah, uh, it was brilliant. Like, But look at the way you did it, Hogan. Can you imagine this man going out and paying the money? You say everybody's got a price. What kind of money you think Hogan had to spend to go out and get a Dave Hebner lookalike referee to come out in the ring and try to confuse the issue? You know what it's like? Have you seen that community episode where it's about conspiracies? Yes. It was like that episode or the uh, rest of development episode about not teaching your father a negative object lesson. There's a conspiracy within the conspiracy about the conspiracy (laughs) with how DiBiase is presenting this. It was so good. So now we're on to primetime wrestling. Something you brought up I want to touch on. You said that you think they should have drugged this out a few weeks. That's never crossed my mind one time. That would have been really cool. I I don't know. if I I wondered if it was maybe Vince just thinking he didn't want it to be any sort of like asterisk in the record book or something like that. I mean, 
he pretty much wipes the the slate immediately, saying DiBiase didn't have the title. What is it? Let me see here. Tony, Greg Tony they, has a decision. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is because like so. I guess it lasts essentially eight days, right? Yep. Okay. I that would have been really cool if they had made it last, like you said, a few weeks. It. I know WrestleMania four was coming up. I wonder if it was like the CM Punk thing from SummerSlam uh, and Money in the Bank in 2011, right? Mm-hmm. Where they did this, they kind of just accidentally stumbled on this amazing angle that got white hot going into Money in the Bank in July. They did the best possible ending you could have done. It was amazing. And then Punk leaves for one week. And he's back the next week. And I've always thought it would have been way cooler if they had kept him away until SummerSlam, and that was when he came back. But the match I had in mind that would have replaced it, like John Cena versus Ray, with like kind of the threat of Punk showing up in the background, wouldn't have been as big of a match on paper as Punk versus Cena in a rematch. And with SummerSlam being the second biggest show of the year, business just kind of took over. Like, well, we can't. We, we, we'd lose millions, possibly. we got to do Punk Cena, which means we got to bring Punk back quick. Right. I wonder if some of that was going on. Like, So it's February 13th. WrestleMania is going to be in five, six weeks. Mm-hmm. We can't run like three weeks of DiBiase as champion. We've got to announce the tournament and get all our posters and billboards up with that information on it. Yeah, that makes sense. It kind of sucks. Then the next thing on our list, Jack Tunney's announcement, man. Yeah, so I guess the the bylaws were easier to find this time. Um, (laughs) But he says Hogan is not the champion, but... Because the referee's decision is final. Right. But that DiBiase is not either. So Because you have to win the title by pinfall or submission in the ring. So not by surrendering the belt. And then he says, it's also written that a champion can forfeit their title at any time, which Andre publicly did. So Andre is also not the WWF champion. So... <laughs> So the idea here being like Sean when he lost his smile surrendering the title, but not like surrendering it to somebody specifically, I guess. Right. It, it's, what the one major difference was that Andre the Giant wasn't being an effing P-word like Sean was when he lost his smile. <laughs> I'm hanging up. <laughs> but... Did you say a family man? That was... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, what yeah. my language is not being right now, not conducive of a family band. <laughs> but yeah. is not happy. He says he thought that he's seen it all. <laughs> Tony has to throw one more, um, throw in more bureaucratic crap. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. He's just, he's just pissed off. Uh, yeah, DiBiase like throwing out conspiracies. Like, can you believe Jack Tunney so desperate to keep the belt on Hogan that he won't even let a fair business transaction stand? <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then, well, Tunney, Tunney's announcement, right? He says, It is my decision that to be fair to the last two reigning champions of record, Hogan and Andre, and to furthermore be fair with the number one contenders who would have faced either Andre or Hogan as champion, I now declare the title vacant. And this vacancy to be filled on March 27th of this year during WrestleMania 4 in the form of the first ever World Wrestling Federation Championship Tournament. To be fair to Andre and Hogan, the last two champions on record, and to be fair to the top contenders who would have been receiving shots at the title during this period, he has put together a 14-man tournament, which will be the centerpiece of WrestleMania 4. And the winner of the tournament is the WWF champion. And there are six first-round matches, with the seventh match being the first match of the second round, which is Hogan versus Andre, with the thought being they're the last two champions on record, so they get what is essentially the championship advantage here. They get a bye to the second round, but they also have to face each other, so there can be a definitive winner of that match that started the controversy. And that's it. They they set us up for WrestleMania 4 with that. Funny thing here, the brackets that they show are not the actual brackets that they use in the WrestleMania 4 tournament. And that they switched the advertising to the way that we know it, <laughs> the way that it actually unfolded at WrestleMania 4 a couple of weeks later. But there have been conspiracy theories for years that DiBiase was going to win the belt here. And that the original brackets were the ones that they put together when DiBiase was going to win. So what happened? So the idea being they changed, just changed their mind, I guess. No, like there are so many layers to this. So if you're Ted DiBiase, the story is that he was told he was going to be made champion at WrestleMania Four. But on the night of the main event, the Honky Tonk Man was supposed to draft the belt to Randy Savage. Randy, uh, Honky Tonk Man, went to Vince. His contract was up, and he said, there's still tons of money to be made off me as the champion. So if you say I'm going to lose the title tonight, I'm going to take the belt. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to the NWA and be the Intercontinental Champion in a different company. And so in order to stop that from happening, Vince said Honky could keep the Intercontinental belt. And then to kind of make it up to Randy Savage, he said, you can win this tournament that I put together at WrestleMania 4. And DiBiase was just kind of left out in the cold. So that's how Ted DiBiase understood that everything happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. According to Bruce Pritchard, who was in Vince's inner circle, he said, as far as he remembers, that he's good friends with Ted DiBiase. So he said, I think I'd remember that if I heard it. He said, like, that was never the plan. It was, as far as I knew, it was always Randy Savage. And the host asked him when he found out Savage was going to be champion. And he said, I think it was December of 1987, December, January. I knew we were, because we knew Hogan was going to be gone to film a movie. And going with a heel champion in the long term is not something that 
this company has ever really done with at that time only one exception so i knew that we were going with randy savage and i knew because i was specifically told Mm. but if you've that story just came out in the last year or two the other story came from ted dibiase's mouth himself and the fact that these false brackets exist sort of lended credence to that story and i think the honky talk man has had given shoot interviews where he said like yeah I, they wanted me to lose the belt and there was more money to be made with me as champion so it, it's like who knows who knows what really went down there that's interesting i never knew any of that yeah yeah it, it it's funny there are other real life series we skipped over kind of with the Survivor Series and Royal Rumble dates being chosen specifically just to screw with the NWA and their attempts to get into pay-per-view. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but yeah, they're, they're, sorry, this was an interesting time backstage with all the uh, machinations going on, what may or may not have been happening. So anyway, yeah, they announced the tournament and then we get the reactions, right? Yes. So we are. Andre says, um, "Is this where Andre is saying that it'll be an easy match? Is that right?" Yeah. He Andre says, "Hogan, I've already beaten you three times. I beat you at yeah. WrestleMania three. I beat you at Survivor Series. I beat you at the main event, and I'll just beat you one more time at WrestleMania four. I'll go to the finals, and then I'll lay down in the middle of the ring, and Ted DiBiase will become the new champion." Awesome. So he's still finding a way around everything. <laughs> right. DiBiase and Andre, we should mention here, are always on screen together at this point. They are heel one, heel two. Ted DiBiase is Andre's quote-unquote manager as well as a main event wrestler himself. And yeah, you don't see one on screen without the other. So it's sort of Primetime Wrestling 229. First of all, the thumbnail for Hulk Hogan's interview here is really funny. Uh, Secondly, <laughs> what is with Craig to George? Like, like you said, he always looks so happy to be there. Yeah. He introduces Hogan for this podium interview as saying, ladies and gentlemen, God made only one. And then he introduces oh. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> So during this period, they really up the Hogan, like, butt-shining. I have this theory about this, because watching this stuff, you know, going out of our way to watch it, they do, like, this video special on Hogan and, like, you know, the last four years he spent as champion, this little video short thing. Um, they do Craig divorce. Craig to George is really over the top. Isn't he the greatest? Oh, Hogan. I feel like you're giving people closure. <laughs> like, I think I felt like they're going out of their way to say like, Oh, that was awesome. It was a great run. We all enjoyed it. It was so good. Everybody. We're not forgetting it. It's because the next thing they're going to do is move on essentially right. for the next year. It was really over the top, but with the way th- where things were going, I kind of understood it. What did you think about it, though? Yeah, I didn't really get it until you just said it just there. But that makes perfect sense. It's like a weird send-off, you know. All right, so the interview itself, 
Um, <laughs> see, what does Hogan say here? He says he hopes he said he's going to bust up Andre and he hopes to get to face DiBiase in the second match. And then he'll have his title back by the end of the tournament. Um, at this point, it, I, I remember thinking Hogan, well, obviously Hogan's going to win going into WrestleMania 4. Mm-hmm. Looking at it objectively as an adult, looking at the bigger picture of things, Hulk Hogan was Julius Caesar. Like, Caesar wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Mm-hmm. Andre the Giant was the end of the line. And they had just essentially done the DiBiase stuff before he teamed up with Andre. Yeah. If Hogan beat DiBiase at the finals of WrestleMania 4, what's next? Like, they didn't have any more top bad guys ready to rock and roll. They needed to make a couple. And so you couldn't really do Hogan, or you couldn't really do DiBiase Hogan. You could do DiBiase somebody else, because that would be fresh. But, you know, we're going into, essentially the bill to WrestleMania for is Hulk Hogan versus Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant. That's what's kind of being presented as the main event here. Yep. And the box of the show is even Hogan and Andre by themselves. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking is, is interesting. Is Looking back, like I didn't remember generally what the main event was because I just thought it was a um, some sort of rematch. But yeah, it's, it's not really. So I, I don't know. I, I kind of thought like, obviously this is before King of the Ring and anything like that, but I kind of thought the tournament for WrestleMania was a little bit strange. I mean, it's only the fourth one, so I guess there wasn't all this precedent. But for me, it was kind of like WrestleMania is where you have like the big match. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is that year. And this one, just just not having that clear cut going into it. Obviously, they were able to work you know, stuff up for different matches that were possibilities or obviously what ends up being the main event but just going into Wrestlemania without having a clear cut main event I just thought was a little bit bizarre